For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. Welcome to Turning Point. Is there anything in existence that could prevent God from loving you? The Apostle Paul pondered this question. And today, Dr. David Jeremiah shares the inspired answer Paul wrote in the book of Romans, explaining why you can take great comfort in its rock-solid assurance. Listen as David introduces today's special message, God's love will never let you go. Well, I'm pretty sure that I'm talking to somebody today who has decided that God doesn't love them anymore because and they did this or that or didn't do this or that or this or that happened to them. So I hope you will listen if you're among that number. Uh, and let me tell you what God said about what you're thinking right now, how God answers the question, can I do something that will make it impossible for God to love me or will God ever stop loving me? And the answers to those questions are found in the 8th chapter of Romans, verses 35 to 39. And we're going to go there in just a moment. Even though we have finished the book of Colossians, we have three more days to make the book itself available to you as our August resource. So just let me tell you, if you haven't ordered the book already, you can get a copy of this 288-page hardback commentary on the book of Colossians, not available in any bookstore, just from Turning Point. And it's yours for the asking when you send a gift of any size during the final days of the month of August. Just say, here's my gift, Dr. Jeremiah, to help you with your ministry. Please send me the book, and we'll do it right away. You'll have it before you know it. And the good thing is that you can go back and review and reread and remind yourself of all the things we've been talking about during the month of August. Well, let's get started with this great passage from Romans. God's love will never let you down. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 30. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eric Wehenmayer is the first blind man in history to reach the peak of Mount Everest. With 10,000 feet vertical fall into Tibet on one side and a 7,000 foot fall into Nepal on the other, the south summit of Mount Everest at 28,750 feet 
is where many climbers finally turn back. But Eric Wehmeyer is not the kind of man to turn back. He didn't stop with inching along the icy cliff nearly five and a half miles above sea level. In fact, on August the 20th, 2008, Eric reached the summit of the Karstens Pyramid in Indonesia, the tallest mountain in Australasia. With that climb, he finished his goal of reaching the seven summits, the highest peaks on each of the world's seven continents. And he climbed them all and many more while being totally blind since the age of 13. When Eric began his adventure career a few years before this, a friend told him that he should climb Alaska's Mount McKinley something that seemed completely unrealistic. He knew there would be only one way to accomplish it. It may sound crazy, he said, a blind novice taking on such a dangerous mountain, but in many ways McKinley was the perfect big peak on which to begin. Since all the route is glaciated, crisscrossed by giant gaping crevices, the only way to climb it is to be roped up with teammates. Even when the wind was howling and I wouldn't be able to hear footsteps crunching in the front of me, I have the direction of the rope to follow. Alone and surrounded by these crevices and the wind howling, nothing but a rope to guide your steps and keep you connected. He said, my knees get weak just thinking about what I did. When a half dozen climbers are inching along a crevice in single file, the rope that passes through each of their harnesses is their lifeline. If one person slips, it's the rope that holds him. The others dig in and bring him back. The rope that is for the mountain climbers, their stability, is for us the rope called the love of God. It is God's love that holds us in our journey through life. And like the rope for the mountain climbers, it is not a rope that we have to hold on to. It is a rope that we are connected to by virtue of God's love for us. Romans 8:35, and again in verse 39, the Apostle Paul says this, nothing can separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. God's love is like the rope that passes through the harness. God's love is attached to us so that regardless of what happens, we stay connected to God. God's love doesn't depend on you or me loving him back and keeping a grip in his hand. His love is attached to us by the force of his promises. We are loved. And Paul wrote to Timothy, it doesn't even matter if we are faithless to God. He is always faithful to us. So here in Romans 8.35, in order to underscore the staying power of God's love, the apostle considers seven things that might possibly be strong enough to cause us to be separated. Now he knows that nothing can separate us. But he also knows that it can often appear to us that we are being separated from the love of God. We go through things in our life that can make us think, if we're not connected carefully to the truth, that God has forgotten us. Even the Old Testament writer of the Psalms 
had moments like this. You remember the psalm where David cried out, Oh God, how long before you remember us? Lord God, what are you waiting for? We all have these moments. And let me just say to you up front in this message, the thing that will get you through those moments is not your emotional stability, not your connectedness to other people. The thing that will get you through those moments is your knowledge of the Word of God and what it says about God. You need to know some things when you go through stuff in life. It's not just a matter of being strong emotionally. When I go through stuff, I need to know some things. And so before we're finished today, I hope you're going to know that God loves you and he will never, ever let you go. That's what the nature of this text is. Paul begins by giving us a list of things that could possibly pop into your mind. Maybe these things will keep God from continuing to love me. He says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? What about persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? All of those things are conditions in life where you might, in the midst of those things, think, where is God? But I want you to know that Paul is not describing this like an armchair theologian. Paul is giving us words that describe things that actually have happened to him. He's given us seven representative words that if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you will discover Paul experienced all of these things with the exception of the last one, which is the sword, and he's about to experience that at the hand of the Roman emperor. Years ago when I was ill and coming back from surgery at the Mayo Clinic, I was waking up the day after a major surgery and I had a bunch of cards brought to me by my wife. And one of the first cards on the pile was a card that had on the front of it the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Words like this, tribulations, kinds of needs, distresses, stripes, beatings with lashes, imprisonment, tumult. It was one of those cards where all these words just kind of were blended all over the front of the card. Let me go on. Sleeplessness, fasting, dishonor, lies, deceit, chastening, sorrow, poverty, stoning, three shipwrecks, 24 hours adrift in the sea. And I'm looking at this card and I'm thinking, who is the sick person that sent this to me? I'm trying to get better. This is supposed to help me. And I read through the rest of them, just shaking my head. And then I opened the card. And when I opened the card, this was what's on the inside. So how you been? So how you been? I have to tell you, it was the most encouraging card I got all the time I was in the hospital. I'd never experienced anything like Paul. Paul had gone through so much here. I am coming back from a little measly surgery. So how you been? Well, this is quite a list that we have here. The things that happened to Paul before he wrote the book of Romans. Because Romans and 2 Corinthians are very close together and they're having been written. So all these things he knew. Paul wasn't just saying, here are some things that could happen to somebody. And if they happen to somebody, they could keep you from continuing to believe that God loves you. No, no, no. Paul is saying, here are some things that happened to me. I've been through all of this and a lot worse, and there's more things than just seven. 
And I'm here to tell you that nothing can separate you from the love of God. I'm not just telling you because it's in the Bible. I'm telling you because I have been there and done that. And God has proven himself faithful to me in the midst of all these things. This is not theoretical. This is actual. The seven items that Paul mentions in verse 35 are just representative, but they're actual. In fact, he goes on in verse 36 and makes this picture even more powerful. He says, quoting from Psalm 44, he says, For your sake we are killed all the day long and accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In other words, Paul said, I'm like the psalm in the Old Testament. I live every day facing death every day. And if you study Paul's life, that's actually true. I've made the comment more than once that wherever Paul went, he always ended up in the synagogue and then in jail. And many times they tried to kill him. They threw him over a cliff. I mean, they did everything they could. Every day Paul went out into the world, he faced death. He says, every day I am facing killing. What is interesting is that Paul is so very vulnerable when he says these words. And they're important to us because, you see, if we are not careful, men and women, we begin to think that God has promised to protect us from all that kind of stuff. If you watch Christian television, you might even hear a preacher get up and say that. If you put your trust in Christ and you send us a gift, God will take care of you. You'll never have any problems the rest of your life. It just isn't true. There is no indication in all of the word of God that God protects us from hardship. He protects us in the midst of hardship. He doesn't keep us from it. He stays with us in the midst of it and shows his power to us no matter what we may be experiencing. Christians have real heartaches, don't you know? We have real tragedies. We have real challenges. It's risky to be a Christ follower. John Stott said, Christian people are not guaranteed immunity to temptation, to tribulation, or to tragedy. But we are promised victory in every one of these things. God's pledge is not that suffering will not afflict us, but that it will never separate us from the love of God. And Paul is so certain about this. He's so absolutely conscious of this, so confident of this in his own spirit, That in verses 38 and 39, he gives us one of the strongest testimonies to the staying power of God's love you'll read anywhere in the Bible. Listen to these words. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. To make his point, the apostle uses his literary training to teach us this truth. In the first list that we read in verse 35, we have a list of things that actually happened to Paul. But in verse 38, we have a list of things that could possibly pop into your mind that could, in the extremities of life, happen to you. So Paul wants to take all that off the table. And he uses a literary device to make this happen. He uses a device, a figure of speech called a merism. You probably never heard of that before. I have to honestly tell you, I couldn't remember studying that in English. But let me tell you what it is. A figure of speech is the way a writer uses words to convey a subject. 
And the merism represents two extremes that stand for many words in between. Here's the best way I know to tell you this. How far are your sins separated from God? Answer, as far as the east is from the west. Got it? Well, if you read the Bible several times, especially in the Psalms and here now in Romans 8.38, Paul is going to use the merism, which is stating the extremes of something, and in doing so, including everything that's in between. And there are five pairs of contrasts, five merisms, if you will, in Romans 8.38. Let's go through them together. He says, first of all, not the crisis of death, nor the calamities of life. What can separate us from God's love? Neither death nor life. Death is the greatest of all separators, but Paul's not frightened by death. He's already said to us in verse 35 that he's going to experience the sword, which he did. Paul knew that Christ had conquered death, and so it no longer terrified him. In fact, he wrote to the Corinthians these words. He said, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the same spirit, Paul wrote to Timothy that Christ had abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The writer of Hebrews tells us how Jesus, through his death on the cross, destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So Paul's not afraid of death. Instead of death separating us from God, the fact is death doesn't separate us from God. Death unites us with God. Many of you remember, I asked you to pray for Don and I as we went to Nashville because of my sister's death and I had the funeral, her husband, David Mills. I knew he was ill and you know, when my sister died, he just didn't want to live anymore. He was anxious just to go to heaven. So he died. And the interesting thing about it is I was in Nashville and I called David and we met together for about an hour at the Grand Ole Opry Hotel sitting in a corner there and just sharing what was going on in his life and telling him I loved him and he was asking about her children and all that. And that's the last time I'll ever see him on this earth. He's not here anymore. He's gone. He's been separated from me, but he hadn't been separated from God. He's more with God now than he's ever been in all of his life. He is with God in a way that he could never be with God here. So death, rather than separating him from God, unites him with God. Paul says, neither death nor life. How many of you are aware of the fact that for some people, life is worse than death? But Paul says, neither the crisis of death nor the calamities of life. What kind of calamities? All the things he mentioned earlier, tribulation, distress, hardship, suffering, all those things. Paul says, none of those things will ever separate you from God's love. Neither the crisis of death nor the calamities of life. But the Bible goes on to say, that not only will those things not separate you, but not the intervention of angels nor the intrusion of demons. Neither angels nor demons is the next phrase. What does that mean? Well, some people say it couldn't be good angels because good angels would have no motivation to separate you from God's love. 
But perhaps we're missing the point when we say that because what Paul is simply doing is taking the extremities that he can think of. Maybe the extremities in his mind are evil demons and good angels and everything in between. And nothing between those two things in the spirit world can ever separate you from God's love. Nothing. It's impossible, Paul says, for you to be separated from the love of God. The rope of God's love goes through your harness and it cannot be removed. Many writers write about this and they try to in some way discredit this, but there's no discrediting of it. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed all principalities and powers, Colossians 2.15. And that through the resurrection of Christ, angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. So if angels and authorities are subject to God, and God says, I love you, I always have and I always will, no angel or authorities ever going to ever be unsubmissive to the Father. So we're safe in the angelic world. We're safe in the spirit world. And then he goes on and he says, not the crisis of death, nor the calamities of life, not the intervention of angels, nor the intrusion of demons, and not the cares of today, nor the concerns of tomorrow. Things present, nor things to come. Paul says, here's the next merisms. Take all the things that are happening to you now. And take all the things that can happen to you in the future, draw a line between them, and never will you ever find on that line anything that can separate you from God's love. The rope is secure. God's love is absolute. You say, how do I know these things are true? How do I know that I can't be separated from God's love? Well, here's a good exercise for us to go through, and I need your help in this. There are some questions in Romans 8. Well, they're called rhetorical questions because they assume an answer. Let me show you the first one. In verse 31 of chapter 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? What's the answer to that? No one. So I'm going to read these questions, and I'm going to ask you to help me. I'm going to read them, and I want you to say, no one. Now, don't say it like you just woke up. I want you to say it like you mean it, all right? I want you to say it with authority, because this is what this is meant to do. He asked these rhetorical questions, and the resounding answer should be in our heart. Are you ready? Here we go. Ready. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who is he who condemns? Who shall separate us from the love of God? That's it. I rest my case. (laughs) Not the crisis of death or the calamities of life. Not the intervention of angels nor the intrusion of demons. Not the cares of today nor the concerns of tomorrow. And not the pinnacle of heaven nor the pit of hell. In all of the space between the highest and the lowest point of God's creation... Love is present because God is present. God is omnipresent, and because God is love, that means his love is omnipresent. There are many stories in the Bible about God's presence with his people. In the Bible, in early church history, and in modern times, we are constantly being reminded that it is impossible to escape from the presence of God's love. So you need to forget about all those things you've been 
turning over in your mind, all those thoughts that you've been allowing to control the way you live and the way you think. No, God hasn't stopped loving you, and he never will. Uh, I have a book called God Loves You, He Always Has, and He Always Will, and that's the truth. And the reason for that is that God is love himself. God cannot be anything other than love. He's not about love. He is love. And his love is abundant, and it reaches out to you, even in your most difficult moment. So if you're feeling unloved by God, it's not God, it's you. Accept his love. Open your arms and receive it. Acknowledge it. Tell him, thank you for loving me, even as messed up as I am right now. Lord, thank you for never, ever throwing me away, making me important and helping me get better. He's, he's that God. That's the God I'm talking about, and he loves you. And if you do not know that God, if you don't know him in a personal way, the way you know God is through, through accepting his son, Jesus Christ, as your personal Savior. You can do that right where you are. No matter what you've done or how far away you may think you are from God, if you just ask him to come and live within your heart through his son, Jesus Christ, he will do it, and you will become a part of his forever family. You are a part, when you do that, of a love circle that is never broken. Well, tomorrow we have one more part of this lesson from Romans 8, and I hope you'll be with us then. I'm David Jeremiah. It's my privilege to be your teacher. See you tomorrow. For more information on today's special message from Dr. Jeremiah, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All, a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Our focus on the love of Christ continues tomorrow with a special message here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the written word journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Charles Hummel was preparing to enter the ministry when a businessman friend of his gave him a piece of advice that changed his life. 
It changed his ministry and multitudes of other people. Hummel's friend said, be careful that the urgent doesn't crowd out the important. Hummel went on to make that advice a central theme in books he would write later on the tyranny of the urgent. We all do some urgent things and some important things in life, and sometimes important things must be done urgently. But too often, we yield to the tyranny of the urgent at the expense of leaving important things undone. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's wisdom about using time on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.